All right. Um, what a blessing um, to follow the, uh, the praise team uh, that just was up here. I didn't uh, actually plug that in together um, while I was preparing, so it is uh, an incredible and amazing uh, the way that God puts things together. And uh, it is a blessing to be able to uh, stand here in front of you folks and uh, to be able to uh, share the Word of God, which as I'm standing here, I realize I left the Word of God back here, so I'll be right back. <laughs> That's my joke. I started with that. <laughs> Lighten it up a little bit. Oh, boy. Off to a roaring start. All right. And the, the other piece was I'd asked, uh, I didn't ask, to have the Apostles' Creed uh, prepared there. So we may skip that piece. But um, the, uh, I just barely asked the sound booth to try and find that. So while I'm hemming and hawing, we may uh, jump into that. But I'm going to start with this. So... Um, We've been going through a series on the Apostles' Creed, and um, I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the Apostles' Creed read or we do anything that is like a uh, responsive reading or a liturgical passage, um, it uh, strikes me, I confess that it's a less than positive reaction, and it looks like it's up there. So let's read through that, and that'll set this up a little better. So um, you ready? Help me out. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall judge the quick and the dead. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, and the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life and the everlasting. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, as I was saying, I, when, I, when we go through an exercise like that, I confess that I have a less than positive reaction to that uh, typically um, when we do a reading like that or whether we're asked to do a responsive reading. Uh, by definition or design, both of those are meant as a form of public worship, an attempt to focus the group on the one and um, set that up. My mother and uh, mother's family was Catholic and my dad's Congregationalist. And the custom when I was a kid was that moms got to pick where you went. And uh, after all, religion is for women and children. Um, that's how I was raised. Therefore, I attended a Catholic church um, and uh, for the first couple of years, Catholic school. Um, any of you that are familiar with uh, Catholicism uh, would, will know that it's just steeped with tradition and with uh, liturgies. And um, the, uh, that all kinds of traditional stuff. So. I stopped going to any kind of church uh, when I was about nine, and uh, my sister had died uh, from cancer when she was a teenager, uh, so that kind of put a kibosh on the whole church thing, and um, long story, uh, but I never thought much about God until um, we had moved to uh, Brockton, Massachusetts, of all places, and the uh, landlord, who lived up on the third floor, invited my children 
uh, whose ages at that point were six, five, and three, to her Sunday school class along with her son. And um, she took them, all right, just to set that up. We didn't go. Um, so she went off by herself. That was a wonderful thing. And, um, <laughs> but as you quite, uh, can, can probably imagine, that turned out to be quite a handful. And after a, sh a short time, uh, she invited my uh, wife, Annette, to help her. <laughs> and uh, she did. So she went and helped them. And uh, again, thought that was a wonderful thing. Um, so he used that setup, God used that setup, um, to uh, draw me. And uh, eventually, I started attending and um, came to a point in my life where I accepted the truth of uh, who Jesus Christ was. And in my mid-20s, I started to uh, worship him. Uh, this church was an independent, fundamental uh, Bible church. Um, and the pastor at the time had nothing good to say about Catholic uh, religion, the Catholicism. Um, he taught that all of the trappings of the Catholic church, all the decorations and the, and the things that were there, uh, were at best a distraction. At worst, they were idols. Um, so that kind of set that framework up for you. So we all have uh, those kind of uh, foundational elements in our lives and uh, things that uh, you know, affect the way that we view things. So I was taught then anything that distracted us from the pure religion of worshiping Jesus was not so good. So all that to say this, that it's taken some time and experience to come to a place where I can appreciate uh, the functionality and usefulness uh, of tools like the Apostles' Creed. Uh, catechisms, creeds, and even responsive readings uh, are very useful in drawing our focus and our attention on our God and Savior um, and uh, affecting our thoughts and attitudes. Now, as we continue to work our way through the Apostles' Creed, it's been my pleasure uh, to explore th this next piece, which is, I believe, on the th third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So before we dive in, let's pray. Our dear Lord, again, come to you um, and just thank you for the privilege it is to uh, just draw breath and uh, to be able to use some of that breath to, to share what you've, uh, I pray, prepared. And uh, Lord, I just uh, do confess that uh, I am uh, not... Uh, capable or worthy of doing this uh, on my own strength and pray that that doesn't happen today, that, uh, that you work through me and uh, your power is evident through the words that uh, come forth. And I just pray, Lord, for the, the folks that have uh, ventured out uh, today and uh, sit here. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, touch them and, and uh, send them away uh, with uh, just a renewed hope in you and a desire to serve. And uh, I look forward to seeing how you work today. Just give it all to you in your most precious name. Amen. All right. So this morning, I'm going to try and answer three questions about this section. And uh, so uh, question one is, what do we know? Careful. So what do we know, number one? Uh, why does it matter, number two? And what, do we different, uh, what do, would we do different now that we do know? So in talking about on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven, 
Let's take a quick tour of the, uh, the Gospels. So please join me um, in Matthew 27. We've already heard this passage, but we're going to go there again. Matthew 27, verse 66 through chapter 28, verse 7. Now this is where in youth group I would find somebody else to read because I get all tongue-tied, so you're going to have to be patient with me because I'm not going to do that now because I suspect not too many of you would raise your hand if I asked you. (laughs) But uh, here we go. So I'll give you a couple seconds there to get there. So Matthew 27, uh, verse 66 is where we're going to start. We're going to end in uh, chapter 28, verse 7. And that's... uh, it's interesting because sitting back there, you don't always hear the pages turning, but up here you can hear them. And it's, it is, it's kind of a cool thing. Um, I've heard the pastors talk about that, and it is, uh, that's a blessing. All right, here we go. Ah, and they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to draw uh, dawn toward the first day, of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came and took, uh, looked at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake uh, had occurred, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And the guard shook with fear of him, and he became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, and uh, behold, I have told you. All right, now we're going to go over to Mark 16. Mark 16, verses 1 through 7. I cheated. I have bookmarks. So, Mark 16, verses 1 through 7. All right. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome uh, brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they were given uh, to one another, uh, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone uh, for us and, uh, at the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed, You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they had laid him. Go, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of them, uh, of you, into Galilee, and you will see him just as he told you. All right, a couple more. Luke 24, 1 through 9. Luke 24, 1 through 9. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. 
and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they uh, entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near the, them in daz dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Um, for is, uh, he is not here, but he is, has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. All right. Uh, John 20, 1 through 10. John 20, 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other uh, disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord uh, out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were uh, going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw that the linen wrappings lying there, he did not go in. And so Simon Peter, who came following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had uh, been on his head, was lying with the linen wrapping, but rolled up in a place by itself. All right, we're going to stop there. So um, I'm going to play uh, Captain Obvious here and point out something that you may have noticed. Those four accounts don't match up exactly. Um, and skeptics like to point out that that's proof that the Bible is full of errors. <sighs> Wish we had the time. It doesn't allow, the, the time doesn't allow for us to fully explore um, why this happens, um, but it makes sense to me uh, and it actually strengthens my faith, faith in the word that uh, quite simply God used these various perspectives of these, these individuals and the experience of each of the authors to tell us the same story filtered through the lives that they lived. Um, in other words, every account is factual, but it includes the information and the, in the order that fit the character and the experience of these individuals that recounted it. Uh, so it is spot on. Um, I pray at some point you'll take the time to dig into these passages and read them for yourself and explore them. Let the Holy Spirit just uh, give you a joy as you, you plow through them and, and take a look at what God has uh, preserved for us uh, so well. Um, but one thing those four passages do do is answer that question, what do we know? And what do we know? We know that Jesus rose just as he said and uh, Earlier, we were playing an Easter song um, that uh, used those words, Jesus rose just as he said. And they borrowed that from, uh, from Matthew. So now with that background, let's dig into another passage uh, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and see why it matters. So we 
check out that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's go there. Um, if we had uh, hours, we could read the whole thing. It's a, it's a great read, uh, but we're going to just skim through a couple of passages that I think work real well to uh, explain why it matters. So uh, we're going to start with verse 4. And um, not proof texting here, just trying to uh, save uh, some time. So I'm just going to grab 4, and then we're going to skip down to uh, verse 12 and read through 19. So uh, this is... Uh, Paul, writing a letter to the Corinthians, and he says, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now down in verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been risen from the dead, how is it that some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Moreover, we have even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Um, the King James uh, has that a little stronger, but uh, it's uh, the idea is, is there. It's really, really... Uh, uh, Paul is hitting this really, really hard. And so, um, in preparation for this, I read through some of the study notes and uh, uh, was gifted a uh, John MacArthur study Bible. So, I have some of John MacArthur's uh, thoughts in here. But uh, when I read the study notes about Corinth, uh, it seemed uh, that it wouldn't be a real big stretch to substitute just about any of the, the uh, affluent Western uh, countries into the, the notes that he was writing about Corinth, um, the U.S. to be included in that. So John MacArthur writes, the most serious problem of the Corinthian church was worldliness and an unwillingness uh, to divorce the culture around them. So I think it's also true, and we can substitute some words in here, it says the most serious problem of the American church is worldliness and its unwillingness to divorce the culture around them. Moving on to uh, the Moody Bible Commentary, another uh, great tool. Um, the, uh, they describe the Corinthian culture uh, as having a wrong view of death. Uh, the Corinthians... Uh, believed in spirits, in reincarnation, and just nothingness. Um, all of which sounds pretty familiar to the folks that I interact with. I don't know about you. Um, so sounds like it would fit pretty well into today. This is why Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, hit so hard um, in this passage by using words like vain in verse 14, futile in verse 16, perished in verse 18, and 
pitied in verse 19. All of this to describe what the absence of the resurrection would mean. As we read this, uh, it can sound kind of sarcastic. Um, Paul seems to be repeating himself by restating the idea in a couple of ways. No resurrection for Christ, then no resurrection for the dead. No resurrection for Christ, our preaching is futile and we misrepresent God. No resurrection for Christ and the dead perish. No resurrection for dead and there's no hope. As we look at the creed, all the things that we believe uh, in it would be, it'd be hard to pick one um, that's most important because all of the pieces are like a puzzle and as you put them together, uh, the image becomes clear. And um, last week, Pastor Josh uh, spoke about the cross and correctly identified that as the central uh, theme of uh, that whole creed and our faith. Um, so, uh, but God has made it clear that we need all the pieces. All the pieces are important and an important part of his plan. Uh, Going to have you flip again. Acts. Take, join me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So, thinking about uh, this, it, it would have been really cool if I was uh, clever enough to have a PowerPoint behind me that had a picture of a puzzle with the Apostles' Creed and having pieces drop in. Uh, that was what's going through my head. I'm just not smart enough to put all that together. So you'll just have to imagine that yourself. So um, you work with that. So uh, Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 23 and 24. Acts chapter 2, 23 and 24. So this pulled out of a, uh, a sermon um, that uh, was being preached. Um, this is the thought that connects with what we have here today. This man, delivered over by the, the uh, predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony and death since it was impossible for him to be held in, the, in uh, its power. So um, the cross without the rising again, as it says here, violates God's definite plan and his foreknowledge. It would have us misrepresent God. Um, God has been working his plan from eternity past even until today. And it's an incredible story. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. He, God doesn't respond to things that surprise him. He's had this plan from, from, for all time, and that plan includes you and I. And he's got a design on your life uh, that just is, uh, fits in here. It's not uh, random. But I gotta confess that I find it very frustrating uh, when things happen in our lives. Um, thank you. <laughs> I'm actually going to partake. Excuse me. All right. So, uh, as I was saying, it, it's frustrating sometimes when we, we have things happen in our lives that we just can't explain. Um, things that happen to us or people around us, things like cancer or 
failing joints, um, or uh, just all of the things that we, we prayed about earlier. Yeah, it's just all of this stuff, seem, it can seem so random. And, uh, you know, why would a young pastor die um, when he's got so much to offer? Don't, don't have the answer. We have lots of whys, and we can and we do ask why. The answer to the why the resurrection matters helps us keep focused on the future state. It might not answer why we suffer, uh, but it does move our focus uh, and uh, help us to concentrate on what's next. The truth of the resurrection matters because we know this is not all there is. In verse 19, uh, Paul told the Corinthians, if in Christ we have hope of this life only, we are all uh, people, uh, of all people, to be most pitied. And uh, how true that would be if there was no resurrection. Paul uses that kind of logic, uh, and he leaves us no middle ground. Later in verse 32, he punctuates this uh, strong conviction by saying, what do I gain, humanly speaking? I fought with beasts in Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So this same Paul, uh, who was driving the importance of the resurrection home for the Corinthians, wrote this to the Philippians, in a familiar passage for a lot of folks I know. But Philippians chapter 4, um, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonably, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So why does the resurrection matter? It gives us hope um, while we deal with the aches and pains, physical and emotional. Um, a hope, uh, a Hebrews 11 type hope. Uh, built on the truth found in God's word. We have a living Savior who is at hand because he has ascended into heaven and guards your heart and your minds. We serve a living Savior who told his disciples um, in John chapter 16, verse 33. I think it's worth the time to take a look at that. If you could turn with me to John 16, 33. I've got it printed here, so I'm going to be lazy and not do that, but. John 16, So um, all of the stuff we're struggling with isn't new. I mean, even the folks back then were, were dealing with this a couple thousand years ago. And this is what Jesus had uh, to say to his disciples. He said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now this was before he went to the cross. So it reminds us that this life is not random. Um, there is a plan. Jesus died to pay the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. But he rose again to be the first fruits, paving the way uh, for eternity with him. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.20. Um, don't have to turn there, but I've got it here. Uh, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
So Paul goes through this exercise with the Corinthians and he explains to them uh, that this resurrection is not something that you can discount, even if your culture is doing that. So even if the folks around you are doing that, you can't do that. Um, and he, he tells them, as he gets on later in this, the fact is that Christ is raised from the dead and that he is the first fruits of all of those that have fallen asleep. So now what? If that's the why it matters, what do we do with it? If we believe that on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven, it would seem that something in the, in the way that we approach life would have to be different. The fact is that we've been entrusted with an amazing truth, and it requires us to make a decision. We either have to accept it or we have to reject it. There's no middle ground. And uh, we're not given that option. It's either true or it's not. Uh, we live in a culture uh, today where they like to tell us that uh, truth is okay for you, and it's okay for you over there, and it's okay for you over there. It doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't work that way. And uh, I think it's Robbie Zacharias that kind of tells that story of, you know, if you believe that kind of truth and you step in front of a bus, <laughs> you know, that, that's true. Yeah, very true, and it hurts. Um, so no middle ground here. Uh, when I was preparing this, I was drawn to uh, the all-familiar passage there in, in John 14, 6, kind of the go-to verse for, for saying that uh, there's just one way. Um, but study notes pointed me to another verse, which I think fits really well here, uh, John eleven twenty five, 25. And uh, I think we have time. Join me there, John eleven twenty five. 25. Only about three more pages. We're almost there. Um, Josh actually uh, read uh, this passage and it's uh, a little, little fuller, so he said it in context for us. Um, but in John eleven twenty five, 25, uh, Jesus, uh, in speaking to Martha, he, says, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So as Jesus asked Martha, he also asks us, do you believe this? So, uh, Romans 10, 17 tells us that so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of God uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit does the work. Um, he just wants us to be faithful. He wants us to point the way, to share it. So uh, God could communicate his love and draw whoever he will any number of ways. Uh, but he has told us to go and make disciples. Paul, later in 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 58, and again, I'm going to have you go there because I think this is a good one to see. And a uh, familiar passage, especially with uh, uh, often read at times of uh, someone's graduation to the next place. Um, so 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 58. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. 
but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord's, uh, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The longer any of us live, any of you live, you realize that this life can be very tough. Um, and I would encourage you to read the whole of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It's very encouraging. Um, and as I've, been, I've been, had the, the pleasure of telling other folks that have asked why I have any confidence at all, sometimes don't have a lot of time and I'm not being faithful to God, I'll just say something quick like, I read the end of the book. I know how it turns out. And I know that we win. And that's through the power of Jesus Christ. Um, so knowing that, um, I can't say it any better than uh, what we just read, so I'm going to read it again. Um, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So I encourage you with those words. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just uh, can, uh, am thrilled that uh, you gave us uh, your word and preserved it so incredibly well. And if that were not enough, uh, you gave us the Holy Spirit to just illuminate it, uh, to make it real and, and uh, just to fill in the gaps that uh, we may struggle with. And Lord, I just thank you that it's alive and just as relevant as the day it was penned. And uh, thank you that you have planned this out from eternity past. And uh, just look forward to seeing how you work in the lives of these folks and uh, myself. And just praise you for all. In your most precious name, amen. All right.